Welcome to Book, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book we're reviewing this week is Raylan by Elmore Leonard. A little bit about the author. Elmore Leonard uh, is an American novelist and screenwriter. His earliest published novels in the 1950s were westerns, but Leonard went on to specialize in crime fiction and suspense thrillers, many of which have been adapted into motion pictures. Among his best-known works are Get Shorty, Out of Sight, Ombre, Mr. Majestic, and Rum Punch, which was later adapted into the film Jackie Brown. Leonard's short stories include ones that became the films 310 to Yuma and The Tall T, as well as the current TV series on FX, Justified. All right, uh, strap yourselves in. This is a rather long synopsis. With the closing of Harlan County, Kentucky coal mines, marijuana has become the biggest cash crop in the state. 100 pounds of it can gross $300,000, but that's chump change compared to the quarter million a human body can get you, especially when it's sold off piece by piece. So when Dickie and Coover Crow, dope-dealing brothers known for sampling their own supply, decide to branch out into the body business, it's up to U.S. Marshal Raylan Givens to stop them. But Raylan isn't your average marshal. He's the laconic, Stetson-wearing, fast-drawing lawman who juggles dozens of cases at a time and always shoots to kill. But by the time Raylan finds out who's making the cuts, he's lying naked in a bathtub with Layla, the cool transplant nurse about to go for his kidneys. The bad guys are mostly gals this time around. Layla, the nurse who collects kidneys and sells them for ten grand apiece. Carol Conlon, a hard-charging coal mine executive not above ordering a cohort to shoot point-blank a man who's standing in her way. And Jackie Nevada, a beautiful sometime college student who can outplay anyone at the poker table and who suddenly finds herself being tracked by a handsome U.S. Marshal. Dark and droll, Raylan is pure Elmore Leonard, a page-turner filled with the sparkling dialogue and sly suspense that are the hallmarks of this modern master. All right, so that was a very lengthy synopsis, but the reason that I chose to put such a lengthy lengthy synopsis in there was, A, because I knew Livius would be reading it, and B, um, just because it's really does a much better job of, of kind of summing up what the story's about than we probably would have. So I figured it would just save us a little work. For those of you who don't know, because it didn't really come up in the synopsis or in the um, or in the author bio, uh, this book is very, very heavily based on uh, the TV show Justified, which was based on an earlier Raylan short story um, called Fire in the Hole. All right. Now that we got that out of the way, I, I, we did a pretty good job, I think, explaining in the synopsis what the story is about. You want to talk about some of your thoughts on it? Um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to attack this, uh, early from the standpoint, not attack, I guess, but I'm going to approach this early on from the standpoint of, uh, people who have seen the show and maybe some of the, uh, similarities or differences. Um, my first thought probably about 20 pages into this was that it felt like, uh, like bizarro justified, like if justified, there was an alternate universe that justified could take a place in that's where this book goes. So, uh. Essentially, like storylines and characters and stuff not being the same, that kind of thing. Um, some of it is really, really <clears throat> frighteningly similar. Like in some cases, there was um, the week I was reading this, or the episode I'd seen the previous week, um, had like line for line some of the lines that are in this book. But then you have really weird things like the the Crow Brothers. Um, anybody who's seen season two of Justified knows that the the you know kind of crime lord that they work for is their their mother, and in this book, it's it's their dad. Um, just really weird things, like like very slight changes, like their personalities are kind of different than they are in the show. And I really don't know for sure which one came first. Um, 
if this has been sitting around for a while or i mean like i said i know obviously someone drew from from something one way or the other because there are literally line for line descriptions in here that are from the show it's got to be kind of weird too because typically that doesn't happen like uh usually you've got something that's adapted from a book or a book that it's inspired by you know a series or a movie or whatever but they don't really exist in the same space you know one's usually inspired by the other the weirdest i guess the closest example i could think of is how the dexter series um from showtime started out inspired by the first dexter book but then they the books continued on in a different direction than the the tv series went um but those things are just completely they're exclusive of each other there's no kind of crossing over or mix it up or anything so i have to imagine it'd be really weird to like be reading a book and, and, and thinking, oh, I just, you know, I just saw that on TV a few nights ago. Yeah, the the first story that was mentioned in the synopsis about the, the nurse and the kidneys, it's nice because they we can't really spoil anything because <laughs> the synopsis pretty much laid the book wide open for everybody. <laughs> um, it was a, a this season storyline, but it didn't involve, you know, the characters. It involved that same nurse, but the characters that led up to all of that were completely different. Um, the second storyline about the the lady that works for the coal company, that's, you know, basically verbatim from from uh, Justified, the TV show. And then uh, that third story uh, has not yet appeared on Justified, but I get the feeling that it's only a matter of time before that turns up as a as a story arc as well. Yeah, that was going to be my major note about the book. And it's something Livius warned me about because he got into the book far faster than I did was that it's kind of episodic feeling. It's not one long story arc that carries through the entire book. It's like uh, three, basically three distinct stories, uh, which, you know, chronologically or whatever, follow after each other. And, you know, they're kind of, the, the later ones make reference to things that happened in the earlier ones, and, you know, they share characters between them. So it's it's a it's a continuous look at, Raylan and the things that are happening, the cases that he's involved in, but it's not one continuous story per se. Right. It's it's very thinly threaded together, as you said, with some characters. But yeah, it's basically three novellas, in my opinion. There's not any kind of hard separation between the stories. Like it's just a chapter break, and then um, you know there's a resolution at the end of the chapter. There's a chapter break, and then the new chapter kind of starts up with a new story, and then. As the story kicks off, you know, there's going to be some, you know, references back and everything. A little about the writing. Rob, what did you think about the writing? This is uh, Elmore Leonard we're talking about, so we're going to have to tread lightly here. He's legend. I hadn't prepared full-on thoughts about the writing. I'd say that there was it was a little bit quirky in places. Like, the, the writing's solid, and um, the characters are good. There were some weird stylistic choices that um, I don't know if he made just, you know, because that's his style. This is my first Elmore Leonard I'm reading. Or, or if, you know, there was a specific reason for it. But there were definitely some stylistic things that, that kind of raised an eyebrow. But overall, I thought um, it, it was well-written, for sure. Yeah, I, I have to agree that the, the prose itself was, uh, was engaging and uh, very, you know, we talked about this in some of the other books we read, but there's a lot of kind of southern twang to it. Um, it all takes place in Kentucky, as we mentioned. And my opinion, I thought he really was able to capture... Um, you know, some of the dialogue that, that exists on the show that I'm sure also exists in Kentucky. Yeah. Um, actually, Livius, you and I had a conversation about this before. So this, yeah, this takes place mostly in, in the various counties of Kentucky. And Livius and I at various times have actually both visited 
hazard Kentucky, you know, at some point in our lives. And we're, we're sharing, you know, our thoughts on <laughs> what, what Kentucky life is like and everything. And, uh, from what I remember, because I was there when I was, you know, probably 12 years old, um, it felt pretty authentic Yeah, it felt right. Yeah, absolutely. Back to, um, some of his stylistic choices, he does go off and do some things that are, that are pretty weird too. Um, <laughs> My my biggest issue is so ninety percent of the book and the book's not very long. I don't know what the actual page count. It's been like two fifty or something. It's it's not a very long book at all. But he gets to a part where he just gets tired of of I guess you know like tagging when someone says something. So ninety percent of the way in the book, there's a, quite a few pages where it'll say like Raylan colon, then it has quotation marks and what he says followed by Boyd colon quotation marks and what he says. So there's no description of, of or very little description of, of anything. And he just does this like 89% of the way into the book with no apparent reason. Like had he have introduced that as dialogue between multiple people early on, it would have been okay, but it just struck me as, as, you know, kind of sore thumbish at the end. Yeah. That was a little out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> I remember that, like just, it, it was something where it happened so suddenly without explanation that, you know, I actually had the thought where I was like, oh, when did when did this start happening, you know? Um, and it works fine, you know, but it is a departure from the way the rest of the book was written, so it does stand out, like Livius was saying. Um, one of the things that earlier in the book, talking about the way that he uh, depicts people saying things, uh, the thing that, that jumped out at me the most, which was just, I'm a big fan of, of the way that the read, the flow is for the reader, and um, I've, I've talked about it a lot in the past, like if, if someone says something weird or um, it's like in the, the wolf gift that we, we just reviewed, she put some stuff in there that it was either so, you know, extraneous or useless or, or just bizarre or unexpected that it really interrupted the flow of, you know, my reading and therefore kind of my enjoyment of the book. And so <laughs> with the way that Leonard was writing... Um, the characters talking, uh, he would kind of just drop something right in the middle of the sentence. And, and I have a quote to kind of explain it, but, uh, uh, and, like here's, here's a quote. I just as soon Dickie said, not be in so big a goddamn hurry. And, and that's pretty much the way that most of the, the, the character dialogue went. Like he would just kind of drop the so-and-so said or whatever, kind of at the, at the point where there would be a comma, or, you know, halfway through a thought or something. And while it's not bad and it's not like some sort of, you know, writing, you know, faux pas or anything, it just, it felt weird enough to be, you know, it was something that he could easily have just, you know, Dickie said at the end instead of right in the middle. Yeah, I agree. And and again, I mean, it wasn't, you know, stylistically, it's an interesting choice, but yeah, it does tend to trip you up a little bit as you're reading through. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, it's his book, it's his style, he writes whatever the hell he wants to. And like I said, I mean, you know, it's just as valid as any other style, but I look at this from the perspective of how does it make the experience of reading it work? And and it was just enough to, to trip me up a little bit. I had to adjust myself to expect it. Well, story-wise, I think that, again, you know, we mentioned this, I'm just going to kind of run through it again real quick. You know, the stories were all um, engaging, I say that kind of hesitantly, so I was going to cover this till later. Um, if you're a fan of the show Justified and you're familiar with Raylan and Boyd Crowder and, and Art and, you know, some of the other characters, 
The stories are very engaging and fun. If you're not familiar with these people, I think that Elmore did absolutely no character development. So I'm trying to picture this. I can't go back and not watch two and a half seasons of Justified and then read this. But um, if you're not familiar with it, yeah, there, there's just nothing to make you care about Raylan at all in this book. Yeah, and I'm kind of like a I'm half in both um, camps, I guess, because I did watch the first season of Raylan, so I know or of Justified. Good God. Um, so I know what the character's like and everything, and I guess, you know, your basic backstory, but you're right. There's really not a lot of effort put into developing the character. It could be, and I I don't know how much it was done in the previous shorts that he wrote about Raylan. I can't imagine that there's a lot of time to really develop a character in in a few short stories, but, um, I don't know for me, the way that he did it was almost backwards, um, most of the character development that you see is, um, in a way, talking ab- like other characters talking about things that they'd heard of Raylan uh, from the past, and using those things to, you know, these are the things that are significant enough where like a secondary or, or you know, th- you know, a very small bit character, that's what they know him for, so it must be a significant enough piece of his character, like that kind of thing. It felt like mm-hmm. it was those types of character reactions which built up the image of Raylan um, in, in, instead of kind of reaching into the past and showing him developing. Very true. And like I said, if you're a fan of Justified, I mean, I read through this and I could hear Raylan's voice every time he talked and Art's voice and, and Boyd and, you know, and you kind of picture these people and that worked out really, really well being a big fan of the show. So I kind of, you know, I don't know exactly know how to how to draw the line between that and would it have been any good without the previous knowledge? So that's yeah, tough to say. From the from my perspective, because like I don't, I mean, I'd seen the first season long enough ago, probably actually right when we were starting up this podcast, almost a year ago now, um, where, you know, I know it but I don't know it, and I mean the book's still good. I mean it stands up on its own. It's just. Yeah, there are little question marks of like, why do I care about these characters? Yeah, I could see why you could, why you would think that that would detract from it. Uh, a note that I had, and I'm I'm gonna kind of mix two notes together. Um, the book is, you know, obviously called Raylan, and it's about this U.S. marshal, um, but he's really kind of more a common thread instead of the main character. So you've got these three sub stories basically that are woven together. And the common factor, obviously, is Raylan. Uh, but the main characters and some of the most, I'd say, compelling are the um, the women in the book. And um, it's even said in the synopsis earlier, but um, women are, are, are more or less like the, the shining stars of the book, I'd say, in a way. Uh, a couple of them are more villains. And then, you know, there's a couple of good ones, too. But I'd say the strongest characters in the book or the ones that you care about reading about the most are the, are the women. Yeah, and and very, um, you know, to quote your uh, your notes here, hard ass, all of them very hard ass women, and uh, they they made it they made it engaging because um, Raylan apparently, and you know, they kind of talk about this in the book a little bit, just isn't used to dealing with tough women. He's he knows how to handle a guy, but he's approached with these different women that are you know either criminals or just villains or whatever. You know, it's it's a little tougher for him to swallow. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I thought that was pretty cool. I like the I like the use of women, but I mean it's so consistent that it almost feels 
you know, you can tell after you get through the end of the book that this was a focus on Raylan's reaction to women. Um, it didn't feel, you know what I'm saying? Like it felt like a little too planned. Yeah, that could be. And, and it's weird because you just said something. I'm not sure if you meant it that way, but yeah, in reflection, I thought it was about women. When I was reading it, I didn't really get that feeling. Um, I mean, I didn't at first, but like by the time the third story started and it's like, oh, here's another woman, you know, like the first story, it's like, oh, that was a cool story with a, a badass woman. And the second story, it's like, oh, this is a tough woman, too. And then the third story, you're like, oh, it starts out with a woman. Yeah. So like as you, you know, it builds in, in your suspicions, at least the way that I it did for me. Cool. Anything else about the story you want to throw out there before we move on to quotes? I mean, we can talk about. We could kind of compare it to other Southern uh, themed, you know, books that we've talked about on the show because it is very Southern taking place in Kentucky and, you know, talking about coal miners and, and, you know, drug people and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, we, we've, we definitely have reviewed stuff like the devil all the time and crimes and crimes in Southern Indiana, which, you know, while not identical themes or, you know, topics is in the same ballpark, you know, you've got your Southern was it West Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, that kind of area, mm-hmm. um, which I guess the major difference, at least from my perspective, is that Raylan's not nearly as dark, and I don't know if it's because the main character, you know, is a U.S. Marshal, and so maybe they're, you know, that makes it a little you know, more clean or, you know, following the law kind of thing, but... uh Devil All the Time and Crimes of Southern Indiana, those were definitely really, really dark in comparison with this book. Yeah, much, much lighter hearted if I had to compare them to those two. Um, you might be right. That might have something to do with it being a federal marshal. But I also think Elmore was looking for a little bit of a laugh here and there in this book. And I'm pretty sure that uh, Donald Ray Pollock and Frank Bill were absolutely not. Yeah, and the book reads, and, I, and the final note really kind of on the story is, uh, I mean, in addition to all the books he wrote and, and short stories and stuff, he is credited as a screenwriter, um, and it kind of reads like a crime procedural, like, you know, your basic, you know, detective or, or police kind of TV show. It's, again, like I said, episodic, and it's very much like there's a case, and he's always looking into the case and closing a case and stuff like that. So, you know, it, that's that's definitely got a feel, that kind of feel to it. All right. You ready to rock some quotes? You really want to get to quotes, don't you? No, I didn't know. I thought that you said that was the final <laughs> note on the story. So I was thinking that was my cue to. Yeah, I've only got three quotes. Actually, I have two quotes. How many you got? You got some? Yeah, I've got three or four. So maybe I should go first. Yeah, why don't you kick it off? All right. So uh, this uh, this first one is uh, just kind of just really exemplifies one of the things that, that I think le- Leonard did very good or God damn it. Oh, wow. <laughs> he, he done good. Yeah. Done good. That's like if we're reading this book, <clears throat> one of the things that um, Leonard did very well um, in this book is really capture that kind of smart ass attitude that, that Raylan has and kind of tongue in cheek um, sense of humor. So at one point uh, it says Raylan felt his pulse again. He's hanging in tough little, whatever he is, sort of reeking. <laughs> nice. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> There's a lot of cl- clever wordplay in the book and definitely a very Southern, obviously by necessity of it being in the South, uh, a way of speaking that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, and here's a, here's a quote that I thought was really great. It's towards the beginning. You notice the crease in the pants? 
he has to be careful putting them on. He don't cut himself. <laughs> it's just great. <laughs> but it was, and that was like honestly like two pages in. So off the bat, I'm like, oh man, this is what I'm in for. This is going to be good stuff. Kind of exemplify that southern feel. This is just a description as they're they're driving somewhere. It says they turned off the stinking creek road where it forked at Buckeye and drove up a low rise to the cemetery, a field of gravestones marked Mills and Messer. That's uh, some complicated stuff to to put your mind to. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> I, just you know, stinking creek road, Buckeye Road. It just feels like, you know, like you're in the hollers somewhere. Like they're not actual real names, but that's just what people call them. Yeah. All right. I've got one more. And uh, this one's toward the end. Again, just the way, just the way the words, the way he used the words, I thought, I thought was really cool. Raylan saw bare naked girls using the pole to aim their assholes at the assholes lending the bar. It's good stuff. Very good stuff, and you just made me change my next, um, my next quote. So. Oh, <laughs> oh, God! You know what? I'm, I actually think I might have had that one marked down. Oh, no, now you've got me digging. Uh... I will say while you're looking, um, that. The southern feel was was really cool. I liked it a lot, and and just the way he described the settings and stuff. We didn't really talk about this, but like, you know, describing the way that the coal mines affected towns and the um, the the mannerisms of people and everything just felt. I mean, it really puts you there. It puts you right in, you know, these various counties in like Harlan County in, in Kentucky with. You know, people growing weed to make a living because they're unemployed miners and, and stuff. It, it felt just like you were right there in it. I was vamping for you. Okay, yeah, I we had the exact same <laughs> quote. And you stole it because it was my favorite quote, too. Oh, so, damn. Yeah. Um, here's a conversation that, that someone's having with Raylan, and I think it just sums him up. Uh, I think it's Carol Conlon that says this to him. Uh, you just did it again. You make one-line declarations. You sort of mope around, so to speak, while your mind is flicking lines at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that one a lot too. Sorry, I stole your. Uh, no, no, no. It's okay. Under we'll, there. It's fine. I'll get you next time. <laughs> and then I've just got one more, and this is a, a conversation between uh, between uh, Dicky Coover and uh, and Raylan. Uh, Raylan said it'll be on the warrant and looked at Coover. What's the rat killer want to do? I bet the weed's telling you things, huh? If you can believe weed. Nice. I like that one a lot. Yeah, that was good. I really liked the dialogue and I really liked the, uh, the way he set things. It felt, yeah, like I said before, very authentic. So, uh, do you want to go ahead and give it some stars? Let's do that. Uh, there's so <laughs> the reason that we're kind of like, jumping through this really quick because there's a lot of other exciting stuff we want to talk about. So I, I think we're both kind of anxious to get to that. Um, so to wrap up what I thought about this book, um, whether or not you and you are a fan of justified, I think that the book is a good read. Like I said before, it's well-written. The dialogue's good. It really puts you right in, you know, right in there in Kentucky. Um, uh, I liked it. And um, I don't really have much more to say that we haven't already talked about. So I think I'm leaving this one with a three-star rating, which is pretty much, you know, middle of the road. I liked it. All right. Um, to reiterate a little bit, um, dialogue was great. Story made me chuckle out loud a few times. Um, well-written, quick, 
you know, the pace was good. Uh, so I had no, no problem kind of barreling through this one. Uh, so when I finished it, my initial thought was four stars. I really like this book and I did really like this book, but then I thought about reviewing it for this podcast where I'm just going to take a stab at, you know, the majority of our listeners may not have seen justified. So then I went back and thought about what I said earlier. There's very little in the way of character development. Would I have been as engaged in the story if I didn't know these people already? And the answer I came to was no. So for that reason, I'm going to give it two stars. Um, it was okay. So that's for the non-Justified fans now, so we don't get hate mail from big fans of Justified. Totally four stars if you watch and enjoy the show, but my official review is going down as two stars. Probably the most confusing ratings that we've given so far. So a two, three, and four-star rating between that's the two That's correct, of us. yes. But officially, officially, for booked purposes, this will go down as a two-star review. All right. Um, oh, I thought I had one final thought. And I can't remember. Oh, I can't believe you didn't call me out on the whole falling asleep thing. Oh, well, yeah. I don't think it was the story. I think you enjoyed the story. I think you've just developed some kind of uh, narco sleepy when it comes to reading. Oh, my God. Did you just make a reference to the movie Gunshy? Uh, sure. I've never seen that movie, but maybe. All right. So you want to move on? <laughs> yeah, let's move on. All right. So, um, we loved having Sean Ferguson on for the wolf gift. And I really like the way that we introduced this segment last time. So I'm going to actually cut that in to this episode. So I'm just going to say right now, uh, up next is our, what's growing to be one of our favorite parts of, of our podcast. And that's the Patterson watch. So here's me and Sean Ferguson introducing it. Patterson watch. Dun, dun, dun. All right, welcome to another edition of Patterson Watch. Patterson Watch. <laughs> this week's uh, Patterson Watch might not be very long. Actually, Sean uh, apparently did some research after being uh, so involved in our last Patterson Watch. And uh, he let us know that there is a new Patterson movie um, in development. Yes, an adaptation of the book. I guess the book's just called Cross. And it's, uh, it's a, an Alex Cross movie. Which is going to start, and, and and we might cut this back in because we were talking about this before the show. I got really excited because <laughs> I, I didn't read the full information, and I thought that at one point Idris Elba, the actor, the British actor, um, was signed on to star as Alex Cross, and that's as far as I got. And Levius will tell you the unsatisfying finish to that thought. Um, it is, uh, I also was excited as I really like Idris, Idris Alba, Idris, I don't know, Idris, whatever that guy. <clears throat> um, and, but, uh, it's not, it's, uh, it's going to be Tyler Perry that plays, uh, Alex Cross. Yeah. So another disappointing bit of news <laughs> involving James Patterson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, interesting because I, I remember seeing one of the movies that starred Morgan Freeman. It was probably Kiss the Girls many, many years ago. But, uh, you know, that got us talking a little bit. And uh, it, it appears that Mr. Patterson has had uh, five movies, not counting this newest one, um, made from his book. So if he wasn't uh, busy enough lining his uh, his pockets prior to this, um, just with the, with the books, now uh, he's adding a sixth film to that repertoire. Movies you might know um, his work from, Kiss the Girls, Miracle on 17th, Miracle on the 17th Green, 
Along came a spider, first to die, and Suzanne's diary for Nicholas. Last one in 2005, so it's been a while since someone took a very angry James Patterson about .com. He's got his arms crossed, and he just looks angry, <laughs> like like he's listening to Patterson watch. Um, so, yeah, that's five movies, and now Cross starring uh, Tyler Perry, who I'm not at all familiar with. I, he's like a producer, though, right? Is he really an actor? I, I thought he was just like the guy who does movies. I, you know, if only there were a movie review podcast that we were friends with that could give us that information. Yeah, well, every um, time I hear it, it's like a movie is like, you know, like, I don't know. I'm just Tyler Perry's like, like Medea. Ghost yeah, the laundry exactly. Mat. So and that's usually not like, you know, they, they don't throw out like Johnny Depp's, you know, whatever. It's, you know, it's usually, you know, it's like a Spike Lee joint. I assumed he was the director, producer, writer, whatever, not the actual actor. Evidently also an actor. The guy is a modern renaissance man. Anyway, yes. that's Patterson Watch for this week. Oh, wait, we do have no, any more No, 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 no. <laughs> I have more Patterson Watch. In a follow-up to previous <laughs> Patterson Watch, where we talked about James Patterson, a critical companion, um, I just wanted to update everybody and let you know that none have sold yet because there's still one left in stock. But now this is something I did not catch before. You can get this in an ebook version for your Kindle. So now you might be saying that $46.95, even with the free shipping, might have been a little higher than you want to spend. You can get the Kindle ebook for only $37.09. Good God. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a deal, right? I thought the same thing. So uh, I went ahead and ordered this, <laughs> each a copy. We're going to read through it and review the critical companion. All of this is lies. It is lies. You know, uh, it, they really need to do something about the high price of ebooks. Well, now, but listen, on the bestseller rank in the Kindle store, number 453,439 in the paid Kindle store. But it is number 61. Are you ready for this? That's pretty high. Number 61 in Kindle store, Kindle ebooks, fiction, genre fiction, mystery and thrillers, mystery reference. 61 out of 62. Yeah, I don't know how many other reference books there are, but I got to tell you, man, that's, that's in the top 100 for mystery and thrillers, mystery reference books. Still, I think that that... Someone needs to step in and do something about the high price of ebooks. Um, I, you know what? I think someone might be doing that shortly. <laughs> Would you like to know who that is? I'd, <laughs> I'd love to. If, it, <laughs> if if I only said that once, it would have been a, a clever. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Sorry. The United States government. <laughs> oh, get out of town. What are they doing? <laughs> the United States government. <laughs> Um, the Justice Department is, uh, is suing five publishers, um, five very, very large publishers, and Apple, which doesn't make any sense, which maybe we could talk about here in a minute, but the, for colluding to fix ebook pricing. And when I say fix ebook pricing, I don't mean like, goddamn, like we talk about ebook pricing is broken, someone needs to fix it. No, no, no. We're talking the other way. So I read through this article that we're going to link on the, on the website for this post. It's a Wall Street Journal article um, that Livia's found. And so essentially, uh, long story short, back in the day uh, when the iPad was first introduced, Apple basically um, decided they didn't want to go with the the traditional process for selling books that publishers have always done, which is, well, it's kind of like a, how does it work? Basically, they sell books to retailers, what does it say, for roughly half of the recommended cover price. Um and then booksellers were free to mark them up to whatever level they thought. There was always like a manufacturer's suggested retail price, but you know, 
booksellers could sell it whatever they wanted to. And Apple was like, eh, I don't think so. This is what's going to happen. You're going to sell them at, you know, you're going to set a price and we're going to take 30% of that. And you can't sell it. You can't sell your books to any other, you know, bookseller for cheaper than what you're giving them to us for, basically. Right? Well, Am I that, right about yep. that? Yeah, that's the way I understood it, too. Um, well, that strategy for uh, for Simon and Schuster, I never know how to say it. Is it Hatchet? Hatchet? Hatchetty? Hatchet? I think Booker? it's, I, I always, in my mind, yeah. it's Hatchet. Yeah, Hatchet, Penguin, um, uh, Macmillan, and HarperCollins um, now are uh, might be paying the price for that. Um, and what does this mean for readers? Um, that we might start seeing some discounted uh, some discounted books where we're not paying sixteen ninety nine for the newest Stephen King book. Yeah. So I think the hurdle is the the position of the Justice Department essentially is by going to this new method of of selling books, which instead of the what they're calling a wholesale model, what did they call it? It was something really weird. Um, uh, to this to the method that Apple was was um, was using agency agency model agency model they're basically were saying that um, that by doing this the companies were in a way kind of conspiring to keep book prices unnaturally high because there was no way to, to sell them at a lower price so it was discouraging competition basically so the Justice Department is going to have to prove that that's what the the companies were doing. Um, I think basically what's going to come down to is um, most likely, in my opinion, the companies are going to kind of figure out a compromise where they can still work on a similar method, but in a way that encourages more competition or more flexible or lower pricing. I, I'd imagine that's pretty much the way it's going to go. Apple's not going to go under. These five huge publishers aren't going to go under. They're just going to kind of most likely get a slap on the wrist and, and you know, adjust the way that they they do business. Yeah, assuming that drives the price down a little bit, I think that uh, all five of them will be surprised to find out that they might actually make more money. I yeah. have the opportunity to talk to people who want to buy um, or are considering buying or have just bought e-readers um, quite frequently. And uh, one of the biggest gripes is that, uh, you know, as they're looking through and, and what do most people look for, they look through and see how much the new Stephen King or the new James Patterson book is, that they're ridiculously priced. So they're either trying to get books from the library or, uh, you know, through some other source. And, you know, there's great stuff out there for 99 cents. But, you know, here's the problem. It's never your bestsellers. It's great fiction. But, uh, you know, unless you listen to a show like this or, or follow some type of social media, you know, you never hear about those great 99 cent books. All you see is what's on the New York Times bestseller list, and those are always very, very pricey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see what comes of that. I mean, I'm all, I'm all for encouraging more competitive and lower prices, obviously, and 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 you know anything that that gets cheaper books into people's hands, I you know I'm all for. So, the I but again, I think that the main hurdle is going to be actually establishing that the aim of these practices was to keep ebook prices unnaturally high. That's going to be a real challenge, and it's unfortunate because it's pretty obviously it's pretty obvious that that's what it did, you know. But you know, we'll see what happens. Yep. All right, and as a follow up slash correction to something we uh, we mentioned on our last show, um, we had mentioned that DB Cox was going to be the featured uh, poet over at the Nervous Breakdown. 
Um, we did that before it was up on the website, and uh, it turns out that there has been some type of mix-up with uh, the publication dates. So as it stands right now, D.B. Cox is not up at the nervous breakdown, but I do promise you that when he is, we will bring it to you right here on the show. Yep, thanks to DB for bringing that to our attention. He uh, dropped us a quick comment about that, and uh, I did go over to Nervous Breakdown just to check, and I didn't see anything up there today, which uh, we're recording on March 8th. So, uh, yeah, when we get an update or some news from DB, we will let you guys know. Now, the moment that all two of us have been waiting for. Um, Both. Both. I'm in on this. Yeah, I said all two of us. Yeah, I know. I thought you meant you and your other personality. Oh. <laughs> no, um since the last episode and, and I, someone must have noticed um, Christopher Novus maybe uh, that we didn't have an episode up last week uh, because we were celebrating and partying and doing crazy, stupid things with um, a bunch of our writer friends starting at the noir at the bar in St. Louis and then continuing at AWP in Chicago. Yeah. We, uh, we tracked it down to noir at the bar. Um, Rob twisted my arm behind my back and made me go do this terrible, terrible thing where we got in the car and drove down and just had a ton um, of fun at, uh, the Meshuggah cafe in St. Louis. Yeah, it's pretty great. So to kick off our, our week of, you know, wild partying with writers, <laughs> which I had sent, I, I anticipated basically sitting around in coffee shops and talking about books for a week and, I was surprised at like how much wilder it ended up being than that. Not that it was like, you know, getting arrested wild or anything, but anyway, so we kicked it off. We drove down to, um, to St. Louis and met up with Caleb Ross, Gordon Highland and Nick Young, who we weren't expecting to see down there, but, uh, he's in from South Africa and we attended the noir at the bar event on the 28th, uh, hosted by Jedediah Ayers. Scott Phillips was also there. And the, the readers for the evening were Caleb Ross, Gordon Highland, Kevin Lynn Helmick, and Mark Tiedemann, who uh, Kevin Lynn Helmick, we found out the day before we drove down there, I think, that he actually lives, you know, within like, you know, uh, 10 miles of, of Livius and I. So that's kind of interesting. But we got to see those four guys read. And then surprisingly at the end, because Nick Young was in town, um, Jed brought him up as the final reader and he read his story from Warmed and Bound, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it was uh, it was such a good time. Um before we went to the ring guys, we should uh, we should mention we we did go to um, Subterranean Books, which is just a couple of doors down. Um, I've been in quite a few small, privately owned kind of indie bookshops, but um, the selection um, and the amount of like signed stuff they had at this place was just amazing. Yeah, it it was a cool feeling place, and um, it had a lot of familiar titles, which was cool and. Uh... I picked up a copy of the Noir at the Bar Anthology that I then later had signed by Jed and, and uh, Scott Phillips, so that was pretty cool, too. It was a good experience. I liked it. So, uh, Jed, uh, thank you for being a very, very gracious host. I don't think – I'm hard-pressed to think of a nicer guy we've met than Jed Ayers. Oh, for and, sure. Uh, and if you're in St. Louis, I will say this, totally unprejudiced, the Meshuga Cafe has some of the best coffee I have ever had in my life. Yeah, I mean – of all the things that, that we did and saw in St. Louis, the Olivia's would just not shut up about how good this coffee was. So that's yep. completely genuine. Yep. So I'm thinking there's probably uh, another noir in the bar, noir at the bar in our future at some point, if only for the coffee and the company of uh, Jedediah Ayers. Absolutely. Yeah. Good times. And, and hanging out, first of all, meeting Caleb Ross, Gordon Highland, Nick Young, who we'd had correspondence with and stuff for a long time. 
and then getting to meet them in person that was that was pretty great and and he had this thing where like um you know someone or you know of someone you've had correspondence with them you've never actually spent any time with them it's like oh this could be a disaster you know what if you know you know we're just they're not any fun or they're weird or whatever but man it was just like hanging out with buds you know like it was just a lot of fun the whole time there was a start to finish a lot of fun they're really great guys are you saying Caleb Ross isn't weird? Oh, he's weird. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just wanted to clarify because I got weird, too weird from that I guess. guy. He's our brand of weird. Yes, he is. Would you Would you like to share your, your very classy description of, of what we did in St. Louis? Um, yeah, so essentially to, to kind of glorify our time, which was basically just hanging out with some friends, I, was, I tell my coworkers that um, we basically were hanging out in a, in a hotel um, drinking scotch with writers. And I, you know, I tried to make it sound all cool and hip and everything. Um, and it, no lie there. We were hanging out in a hotel drinking scotch with writers. Hey, listen, I was there and I'm thinking, man, that sounds really cool. I know it was, it was a lot of fun. And that scotch was so smoky. It was like, it was like chewing on a log from a, like a campfire. Okay. And rice. I have no idea what that's like, but well, the smokiness of it, like, yes, God damn it, man. It was like kissing a child. <laughs> exactly. It was like chewing on a log that's been in the fire, although I've never been near a fire where there was a log I wanted to chew on. But if I was, that's what it would taste like. Yeah, plus alcohol. Yes. So um, the very next day, so we were in, we were in uh, St. Louis for, I don't know, whopping 18 hours. So uh, <laughs> including the few hours of sleep we got, uh, we turned around and headed right back to Illinois to head to downtown Chicago. Through tornadoes. Through tornadoes, I actually wound up wearing a cup of coffee for half the ride back. That was uh, that was interesting. <laughs> a pink cup of coffee. A pink cup. What what other color is there? Go on. All right. Uh, drove up here where the AWP was kicking off, and uh, our first official event um, was the wrong kind of reading at the Galway Arms. Um, after Jed was a uh, very gracious host, he uh, he hopped on a train and made his way up to Chicago to MC this reading which included the likes of Anthony Neal Smith, David James Keaton, Kyle Miner, Nikki Dolson, Seth Harwood, Pickney Benedict, and John Wheatley. It was really cool. It was in this restaurant. I guess it was a restaurant, right? It wasn't just a bar. They actually had food there. Yeah, we yeah, ordered food. A- so, yeah, they had food. Yeah. yeah. So we're on the second floor of this place. <laughs> had the whole thing all to ourselves. A uh, huge turnout of people for, for this thing, and we got to hear some, uh, some really funny and interesting stories and some that were just, just really goddamn good. Um, for sure. And it was nice to, to see, this was our first time, uh, seeing Anthony Neal Smith in the flesh. We got to meet him, which was pretty cool because we'd reviewed his books and, uh, and interviewed him in the past and had some, you know, pretty consistent correspondence with him. So actually hanging out and talking to him was pretty cool. Um, always great to see David James Keaton. That guy's hilarious. He talked about, uh, <laughs> he, he kind of confirmed to us that he, like, and Livius, uh, you probably explain this better, but like his his knowledge of movies is just ridiculous. All right, D- David James Keaton is kind of like Rain Man when it comes to movies. Like no matter what movie you throw out or someone mentions a movie, Keaton goes like, "Oh, you know what I love best about that movie? Thirty six and a half minutes in, there was like this little scene, and he'll name characters by like their full names, and these are like movies I've seen several times. I'm like, it sounds vaguely familiar, but you know he saw it once in like 1986." And has just the entire thing 100% committed to memory. And it's always in the funniest way possible. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so hanging out with him and he, after the reading was done and everything and talking movies is really cool. Uh, Kyle Miner was there on crutches. Apparently he dropped a table on his foot or something. So I felt bad that he had to go up all these rickety stairs to get to the reading, but, uh, always great hearing him. We, we read it. We heard him read back at the, uh, uh, crimes in Southern Indiana release party event. Um, and he looks just so different than the way his, his writing style is and hearing him with that kind of like really soft Southern accent is, is yeah, it, it's cool to hear him read. And, uh, Anthony Neil Smith, um, what a, <laughs> what a terrific story. Um, um, he told, I'm not going to tell you too much about it because we're actually going to be bringing you these readings here on the show, but definitely look for, uh, the Anthony Neil Smith story that we're going to have up here in a couple weeks. Yeah, so wrong kind of reading was a was a great time. It was a success, a lot of fun. Um, our whole um, contingent of the Velvet writers joined us for that. Sean Ferguson was there. Nick Corpon, Nick Young, Caleb Ross, Gordon Highland, uh, Pablo Destere made it out, which was really cool, and his wife. And um, there's got to be someone else. Livius, help me. I um, move forward to the rest of the notes, figuring you had that under control. Misty. Misty Bennett, yes. Yes. So a bunch of our Velvet friends came out for that. That was pretty cool. The next, the very next night, very next night we went to an event called Shindig in Chi-Town at the Billy Goat Tavern, the world-famous Billy Goat Tavern in Chicago, uh, which was hosted or presented by Flywheel Magazine and Burnt Bridge Magazine. Um, Near MCs for the evening for that one were David James Keaton of Flywheel Magazine and Jason Stewart, who is at Burnt Bridge. He also wrote a book called Raise a Holler. So those two guys were kind of co-emceeing the event, and they had a ton. I think it was total, including those two, I think 10, 10 authors that read. You got Mark Rapox, Jason McCall, Joshua Schriftman, Michael Chisniewski, which I had to write that phonetically in the notes so that I wouldn't get it wrong. Richard Godwin, who actually wasn't there, but <laughs> this is really great. Uh, um, David Keaton's um, fiance, wife, I don't know. Fiance. Anyway, fiance, Amy, uh, read on behalf of uh, Richard Godwin, which is really cool. Um, there was Molly Lake, Jeff Peck, and Chuck Kinder, who also wasn't there. So <laughs> David Keaton's sister, Aaron, read uh, Chuck Kinder's story. So. Uh, a des- definitely a big list of people there, and there were some fun shenanigans as well. Yeah, great stories and, uh, and more great emceeing by David James Keaton, who tried to start at least two fights while he was emceeing <laughs> the event. Yeah, <laughs> in the middle of hosting an event, he was still trying to pick fights with um, patrons and staff. Yeah, and you know what? I don't know about the patrons, but the staff definitely deserved it. They did. Yeah, anything else about Shinding and Chinatown? Um, should we mention our little top seeker project we put together while we were there? Um, I'll let you, I'll let you do this because this is definitely your brainchild. All right. So while we were sitting there at, uh, at the Billy Go Tavern, which is a world famous tavern, there's a Saturday night live cheeseburger. Cheeseburger skit is based on it. Um, the owner of the Billy Go Tavern put a very famous curse on the Chicago Cubs, which is why they haven't won the world series in 102 years or something. So we're at this pub that has um, just pictures all over the wall. Some of them probably 50, 60 years old, old black and white photos of uh, sports stars, celebrities, um, you know, just kind of cool pictures, politicians, people who just showed up there, whatever. 
So as I'm sitting there waiting for the reading to get going, we got there pretty early and, and I noticed that there are some empty spots on the wall where people had either stolen pictures or, um, you know, they'd fallen off and they were just never replaced. So <clears throat> I had the idea for all of us in our little group that had been hanging out all week to take a photo together, which I then went and had developed, bought a frame for, and threw it up on the wall at the Billy Go Tavern. So if you're ever in there, take a close look around, you might find the book team and friends uh, up on one of the walls at the Billy Goat. Yeah, uh, brilliant move on Libby's part. Um, and for me, it was one of the highlights of the whole week. I mean, meeting everybody and hanging out with them was cool, but like the fact that we did this kind of sub- mildly subversive and pretty fun little, uh, uh, you know, little thing was really cool. So again, uh, Rob had mentioned some of the people we uh, we got to hang out with. Um, Sean Ferguson, an absolute blast. Uh, as you guys have probably heard him on the show several times now, um, just a, a very welcome uh, addition to, to AWP. Just for the sake that we could uh, we could hang out with him. Um, you know, we mentioned uh, some other people, Pablo and Sarah Destare. Um, Pablo is awesome to see the guy that voice just comes out of. Yeah. Um, I, I could just listen to that guy just talk for like hours on end about nothing. And it, it's not like that. Everything he said was like very, very interesting or funny. Uh, Eddie Rathke was there. Um, we had had him on for the Warren Bound sessions. He's part of, uh, you know, pretty much everything that we're involved with, with Warren Bound and the Velvet and all that stuff. And uh, he's keeping Scotland in business because that dude wears so much Argyle. It's it's not even funny. <laughs> I don't even know if Scotland has anything to do with Argyle, but, but you know, the first time we met him, we went out for dinner with him the first night of AWP, and then Rob and I called it a night and had headed back home. And the next day, he walks into the wrong kind of reading, and he's wearing this Argyle vest. And, and I looked up, and that's when I like really recognized. Like the first night, like I was like, oh yeah, it's Eddie Rathke. But I saw him in that Argyle vest. I was like, hey, Eddie Rathke, like, <laughs> the like persona. He, yeah, it's like if you guys ever saw Rob without a hat on, like you'd be like, oh, it's Rob. But then he put the hat on and you'd be like, oh, fucking Rob. Exactly. So, yeah, <laughs> fun, fun to hang out with Eddie. He he was uh, a very rambunctious guy and he had some party energy. Um, let's see who else do we have. We had um, Nick Corpon, who didn't do any of the readings, but he was hanging out with us the whole time. It was really cool seeing him and spending time with him again. Nick Young, like we said before, and. Richard Thomas made it out for, we saw him on the day, the final, the Saturday where we went to the book fair and everything. So, and that dude, I think he owes me 30 bucks. (laughs) Pretty sure that's how that works. Yeah. So good to see Richard, um, take my money. (laughs) Well, um, and then we got to meet Matt Bell, whose book, uh, Cataclysm Baby, we're going to be reviewing here in the upcoming weeks. So that was, uh, that was very cool. Yeah. And we met, um, so the last day we're walking around the book fair and, uh, and Livius points out, he's like, Oh, Hey, that's Matt Bell. And we knew Matt Bell. Cause you know, he, we've, you know, read stuff he's been in and actually had, you know, correspondence obviously, cause we got cataclysm baby. And then later on we were walking around and we saw Eddie Rathke was at the, um, lit pub slash mud luscious table and mud luscious incidentally is the, is the publisher who is putting out cataclysm baby. But, uh, we saw Eddie Rathke, he was hanging out, you know, more with the lit pub people, um, and Molly Godry, I think, is basically the creative force behind the Lit Pub, who does very similar stuff with us. And so we were talking about maybe um, seeing how we could cross promote each other. So it's really great to to meet her because I'd heard about her and checked out her website a few times before. Um, yeah, so lots of lots of bumping into to cool people. 
All right. So now that we read you the laundry list of things we uh, we did, all three of those readings will almost in their entirety um, be up on uh, as as episodes. We haven't quite figured out the format yet, but we're starting to kind of break it down and figure out how we're going to post these. So you will be hearing from the likes of uh, quite a few of those names we rattled off there. Yeah, I think we're going to. I mean, it's a lot of stuff. So it's going to be a controlled release, and I think we're just going to do it as bonuses, or you know, give a, you know, buffer ourselves to give us some time to do something in between. But keep an eye out over the next you know month, two months, or whatever. We're going to be kind of releasing those a little bit at a time, probably chronologically because we just love Jed Ayers, and he came first. So, um, yeah, keep an eye out for that. It's going to be, I mean, experiencing them was great, and um, I think that it's going to be really good for people that couldn't go to AWP, Pela, Via. We're talking about you. Um, to get to, to listen to some of the stuff that we got to experience. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to hearing um, a, a few of those stories specifically again because they were just that good. So I'm really excited about bringing that to the listeners. Absolutely. So that's AWP in a nutshell. There's a lot. I mean, there was just a ton of stuff that went down. And uh, if you go over to... My personal Facebook has a lot of the photos, and eventually we'll be getting those on the booked um, the Facebook page. As, as, as time goes by, we're kind of creeping them in there a little bit at a time. So we'll try and have some good albums of photos from AWP so you can see all the, the readings and the random craziness that went on and pictures of empty bottles of scotch laying around and stuff like that. All right, so now that you've got all that to think about and look forward to, um, we're actually going to keep reading books too. And uh, our next episode is going to be they Say the Owl Was a Baker's Daughter by Pablo Dester, who we just mentioned. Um, now, specifically, we, had, we, we have several episodes planned ahead of time. So this had nothing to do with us meeting Pablo in person. We'd actually agreed to do this before AWP. Um, it's a collection of sorts, and um, I'm a little bit of ways into it, and it's, uh, it's intriguing at this point. That's all I'm going to say. If it's anything like hanging out with him and talking to him, I'm really excited about it. I haven't had a chance to start it yet because I just finished listening or listening, reading Rayland earlier today. But um, yeah, if it's anything like his personality in person, it's going to be pretty, pretty entertaining stuff. Well, a whole four pages in the guy's drinking bourbon, so it can't be too different from Pablo. Oh, yeah, that did. Did we not? Uh, I don't think we did a good job of emphasizing just how much alcohol was consumed. Um it was definitely ramped up for me. Like I never drink, but I felt like I was constantly putting some sort of alcohol to my lips, uh, this past week. Yeah. I had a couple of moments where I drink a little bit, but yeah, all in all, I don't drink very often. So it's a very social thing for me. And, uh, socially those guys are really easy to drink with. Yeah. A lot of fun, a lot of fun, everybody. So, um, I totally derailed what you were saying, but I want to thank everybody for, for the great time at AWP because it was a lot of fun getting to meet and know all of them. Absolutely. You may have to do that again sometime. Boston, it's happening. Maybe. I already found a houseboat we can rent. <laughs> really? Yeah. It sleeps like eight people. <laughs> okay. We're, we're going to sink a houseboat at the next AWP. <laughs> oh, man. Ugh. All right. <laughs> if you need to get a hold of us, um, you could friend Rob on, uh, on Facebook, apparently. <laughs> Um, or you can email us at bookpodcast at gmail.com or feel free to leave a comment in the comment section of this episode at bookedpodcast.com. That's right. And um, if you're listening to us just from our website, I want to make sure that you know that Stitcher is a viable option for listening to our podcast and it's 
pretty much the easiest way to listen on the go if you got a smartphone and get the Stitcher app. Um, there's also a bunch of other crap that no one ever cares about, like uh, what's that stupid thing that Windows does? Zoom. Yeah, the Zoom Marketplace. We're on that, so yay for that. And obviously an iTunes, so you can download us on iTunes. Um, yeah, that's about it. Until next time, I'm Lydia Snedden. And I'm Rebels, and keep reading. Trying to fly and get low.